0: First hour love and respect thing was kind of fun. <clears throat> I thought it was funny when the guy mentioned uh, he reads the book that his wife had on the marriage thing, and it was all highlighted in yellow, and wonder why they didn't just print it in yellow. <laughs> and as that guy was up there talking, and I'm hearing my wife laughing next to me, you know, she laughs in yellow yeah. highlighter. So that way you all get to know what's going on in our house because of all the places where she laughs. Easy. So I guess now you all know my point. Like the guy said, why didn't they just highlight the whole book? You know, that's a true story, too. Uh, uh, way back in the day, when I worked at the Federal Center, they had certain mandatory classes that all the employees had to go to. And some of them, it was like, why the heck do we got to go to this? It had nothing to do with work. And one of them was them um, pink and blue things. I never heard of that before. But, see, they had a philosophy in the government. I think a lot of industry picked it up as well that when you have a workforce, if you want them really productive, it does matter what's going on at home. If employees, you know, their career, they're coming in there, if they're having problems at home, you know, a kid is a drug addict or the marriage is falling apart or whatever's going on, that's gonna affect them coming into work. So it's in the best interest of the company, or in this, in this case, it was the government, to try to provide, you know, things for people that might be helpful for them that, you know, at home. Because if they can overcome whatever's going on at home, they're they're happier at work and they're more productive, okay? So I'm sitting there listening to this pink and blue stuff. I wasn't a Christian. And I'm like, what is this guy talking about? Well, then, like he was starting out in the beginning, I'm like, Is that what's the matter with her? You know, and it never occurred to me. I'll be honest with you. Never occurred to me. I knew there was physical differences between men and women, but I would have had no idea how differently they think. I never knew that. That's why I couldn't understand what. You know, so I seen that a long time ago, and that actually was quite revealing to me. It never occurred to me that we think differently and, and respond to things and, and all that differently. So anyway, okay, this morning, moving right along, yes, we are going from here to the Cornwells on that uh, annual... Uh, dinner that we've had. It's always been fun and looking forward to that. But today what I want to do, uh, you know, for those of you that might be watching the Chosen series, you'll definitely know what I'm talking about. And for those of you that don't know what it is, it's a host series of basically the life of Christ on earth. Uh, and it's all privately funded. Now, Hollywood's got nothing to do with this. And it's been a big hit because they use a lot of backstory. What do I mean by backstory? You know, there are certain events in the scripture, you know, when you read the gospels, what Jesus, you know, does when he goes about healing and certain situations he's dealing with, casting out demons and uh, feeding 5,000, all kinds of different things. And of course, he chooses his apostles, he picks them. Uh, and you read about that in the Bible. Now, sometimes people think the Bible seems to be a little bit dry bones, more clinical. Okay. Well, in a way, yes. However, it's pure elixir. Pure elixir, Brother Jay Wilson likes to say that. It's concentrated, man. It's powerful. But one of the things it doesn't put in there, for a lot of good reasons, is a lot of backstory. On these very people that you read about in the Bible. Now, they do have a backstory. Why? Because they're humans. And these were real people. So, yes, they had a backstory. But if the Lord put all the backstory behind a lot of these things that you see in here, we'd be going to the Bible library. We couldn't go to a Bible study carrying a Bible in our hands. We'd be going to the Bible library. Jesus, or uh, John, said that if everything was recorded that Jesus did, that even the world itself could not contain the books that could have been written. But these are written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing have life through his name. What God has given us in this condensed form there's enough to save your soul. We can receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. There's enough information here to get us there. One quality of life here and eternal life when we depart from this life. So it's good. But however, when, if the writers are good, and maybe you've read some, what they call historical fiction... They take an actual event and they build a backstory around it. But as long as they stay true to whatever the historical event is, I'm talking, you know, not just in Christianity, I'm talking about anything. If they do a good job preserving the actual historical record, sometimes developing a plausible backstory for the characters can really make it interesting for people and challenge you. Now, so the chosen, they're doing it privately funded. They've done three seasons. There's eight episodes in a season. There's twenty four episodes. This guy said, We're taking our time. Because you know normally and in my I know it's true. Most times you go see a Jesus movie, you know, two let's say hour and a half, two hour movie, you know, maybe All your life, maybe you've seen a Jesus movie. They're kind of corny, a lot of them, if you know the truth. Either to make him look like a hippie or a space cadet, you know, like he's really not from here. Not very relatable, but they purposely wanted to take this step-by-step step and take the time to build backstories and bring it all together. when you, They get right to the biblical record of the event that actually happened, turning water to wine, uh, the woman at the well, uh, the guy laying at the Bethesda pool. Woo, they do a real good job of having you emotionally right at that moment and you know what they say, what's happening all over the world? People are buying Bibles because of that chosen. They're buying, them, they're buying Bibles because many people, in fact, they interview people that say, well, I've been a believer all my life, but man, they're, they're re-looking at everything differently because it didn't mean nothing to them. You know, some people, they've never read the Old Testament. They say they've been Christians for years. You know, we got to make this real and relevant. I've been saying that for a long time, real and relevant. I don't care how you get there, but that's a journey that everyone needs to get to because it is real and relevant to our lives. And right now, this world is in trouble. Always has been, but boy, it seems to be like right there, right now, when you hear all this saber rattling with all the superpowers. I'm just saying, the place to be is in the kingdom of God. And we need to grow in our understanding and walk in the Spirit with the Lord and encourage other each way in that way as well. Now, what I wanted to do at light speed here this morning, I'm going to just share three things from Scripture and kind of bring out a little bit that is actually you might begin to see is in some of these gospel records that maybe you never even really quite thought about, that they do very well in bringing out. So... Uh, and if you've seen The, the Chosen, you'll realize what I'm talking about. The first one, I'm just turning right now to Matthew chapter 9. This is the woman with the issue of blood. That's almost become one of my new favorite scenes, uh, the way they, they built that out in that movie. Actually, I got so many favorites because I really like the stories in the Bible. But to see a back story where that's fleshed out a little bit more. Now what we're going to do is you're going to, we're going to look at Matthew 9 and we're going to look at Luke 8 uh, basically at the same time. It's the same story. But you know a scripture, remember this rule of interpretation, no single verse of scripture can mean any less than what it says, but it may even mean more in light of other scripture. Because sometimes the first account may be given by Matthew you know, a little bit bare. You read another one of the contexts of the same story and the other inspired writer gives you a little bit more. Interesting. But Matthew chapter nine, verse twenty. So Jesus actually is actually on his way to go heal Jairus' daughter. So he's on his way. But suddenly, verse 20 says, A woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind, touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I'd be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. Well, that's nice. That's nice. What was that? One, two, three. Three verses? Do you realize this is a real person? This woman? Do you realize that she is unclean in that condition according to Leviticus 15? And under the normal customary time, she would be unclean. Then there was a period of her cleansing. But it also says in Leviticus 15.25, but if her condition is that goes way beyond the customary time, in other words, it won't stop, as long as she's in that condition, she's unclean. This woman has been unclean for 12 years. And what an impact it has on a woman's life like that. In the movie, she's like, she said, I've been kicked out of my house. My father won't let me be in the house. I can't be around people. I'll never be married. She can't be married. She's unclean. Suddenly now, a real person like that under those burdens? This is a desperate situation. Let's look at Luke's context. In Luke 8... It tells us the same thing on the way to Jairus' daughter. Verse 43, it says, Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, and she spent all her livelihood on physicians and couldn't be healed by any. See, Matthew didn't give us that information. She came from behind, touched the border of his garment, and immediately, boom, her blood flow stopped. Jesus said, Who touched me? When all deny it, Peter and those that were with him said, Master, the multitudes are thronging you and press against you, and you say, Who touched me? Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived the power going out from me. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him. She declared to him, in the presence of all the people, the reason she touched him and how she was healed. Immediately, and she felt it. He said, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Well, you see, there was a lot more information there from Luke. One, she spent all her livelihood on useless physicians trying to get healed. Now, when you see it in the movie, he's surrounded by a multitude that are pushing right up against him. Everybody's trying to get next to him, and they're jammed on a crowded street, and she's trying to get to him through that crowd, and everybody wants to be there. Talk about like a rock star, and she's weak and sickly. But another thing they bring out, and I'll give them there's something there, She was saying, if I could but touch the hem of his garment. What they reveal in the movie, she deliberately did not want to touch him to make him unclean. Because she's unclean. So she's thinking, if I can just touch his clothes and not him. She was trying to make a distinction. Or we could look at it, she just had so much faith that she thought, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be Okay. But in either case, she's trying to get through there. And that crowd is surrounding him and pushing against him because that's what the scripture says. Peter said, Master, you got all these multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? You see, that's just like a lot of people today. You know, they bump into Jesus once in a while. But see, there are those who come to him by faith. They come to him because they want to be made whole. But there's a lot of people just kind of bumping into him once in a while, and they ain't getting much out of it, and they act that way too. He said, I perceive the power going out of me. Well, when she saw, it says here in the Bible, when she realized she wasn't hidden, it, it showed that she was there, she knew what happened she's down on she's on her knees on the ground she fell down she was just mobbed but she touched him as she was on her way down and then when he stopped and he said who touched me and everyone else is backing up and and the apostles are looking at him like what he said somebody touched me Well, she's the only one. She's still down there, and she's looking. And she's afraid, but she's happy, too, because she felt it the minute it happened that she was healed. So it says here, she confessed. The woman saw she wasn't hidden. She came trembling, falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she touched him. And it was great how she was trying to tell him, Lord... Oh, my, you know, so long, and nobody, I've been kicked out. You know, I mean, she's telling the story. It was really sad. But I liked how he kind of squatted down, looked her right in the face. And he said, why did you touch my clothes? She said, well, I know I should have asked. And he said, no. He said, my clothes didn't heal you. He said, your faith made you well. That's the whole point. The power wasn't in his clothes. He, Jesus is saying it was her faith. Well, I thought it was his power. Yes. We have to have the faith. He has the power. Not for silly things. Not for silly things. But for things that matter. You see a desperation here in a person like her. I can remember my, when I was sent a, by court-ordered alcohol highway safety counseling for DUI, flipping a car on I-94 and totaling it out. Judge says, you got a problem, boy. So off to the alcohol counselor, and I'd been to him before, and one of them told me, he said, uh, you know, only three people out of a 100 can quit drugs or alcohol. I told that guy, I said, you ain't giving me much hope here, man. I'm like an average person. What is the chance that I would be one of the lucky three? Well, I'll guarantee you what, like the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, by the grace of God I am what I am. I'm not one of the lucky three. I haven't had a drink in over 40 years. Because I began to seek for God when I was desperate. There was nobody came to me. I went out to the fields. I've told you, guys the story before. I walked out back. I looked at the blue sky and the big clouds. And I said to God out loud, because I didn't know if he could hear if you he just think it. I didn't know anything about God. I said, hey, God. I said, I am down here. I don't know you, but I'm down here, and I'm dying. And if you just tell me what you want me to do, I promise you I'll do it. So you know what happened? He was like, what? Nothing. Nothing happened. Blue sky, big clouds. Just the breeze blowing through the trees. But something did happen. Because I started reading the Bible. I started reading the Bible. Nobody came to me. Sue saw me reading the Bible, and thought, oh, no, now he's going to get religious. Next thing you know, we ended up going to a Bible study at Jeff and Charlotte's. I saw Jeff in about three hours' time, however long it was, book, chapter, verse, book, chapter, verse. That was 40, what, two years ago, whatever, in May. We've never turned back since. And By the grace of God, I am what I am. That woman was determined, if I can get to him, forget the physicians, I've wasted my time on everybody else, nothing works, I've been to counseling, I've done this, I've done that, and I still am not happy, I don't even know what to do. Now I'm talking to all of us, not just me, my experience. Or this woman. If I can get to him, if I can touch him. Others are bumping into him too. But she went right at him with a purpose. I sought for God. I felt for God. I didn't know that was in the Bible. That he isn't far from any one of us. Because in him we live, we move, we have our existence. As some of your own poets have said, Paul said. You've got to seek for him. You've got to feel for him. You'll find him. Ask, it be given. You seek, you'll find, knock. That's what she was doing. I saw myself later in Scripture, Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Fear not, Daniel, the angel said, from the first day you set your heart to understand and chasing yourself before the Lord. Your words were heard. I've come because of your words. I realized that day in the field with the blue sky and the big clouds, God heard me that day. He heard me that day because I was broken. I was at the bottom. And I was ready to just, I mean, not do any bad thing because that's what my mother did. Shot herself after keeping me up, talking to me, and ended her life. And I thought, I am not doing that to my family, my kids. I'll find the way. And it led me right there to brings me right here today. In John chapter 6... Another great example, Big John chapter 6, here's Jesus preaching to all these people, thousands of people, and in John chapter 6 it says, A great multitude followed him, verse 2, because they saw his signs, he performed on those that were diseased. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, seeing a great multitude coming toward him. He says to Philip, where are we going to get enough bread that these may eat? (laughs) Philip. But it says here, but Jesus said this to him to test him. Because what? It said that he knew what he was going to do. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Philip said 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be sufficient to fit to feed for them that every one of them may have a little one of his disciples Andrew Simon Peter's brother said to him there's a lad over here he's got five barley loaves and two small fish but what are they among so many then Jesus said make the people sit down. Now there was some. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down. The number about five thousand. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. The disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as many, much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to the disciples, "Now gather up the fragment that none, that uh, that remains, so that nothing is lost." Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Here's this huge problem. All these people, and that's one thing about the Chosen. You know what they wanted to do? They want to make an impact, right? They got 5,000 people out in that field to make that flick. Now the only discrepancy of course we know and I'm sure they do too, they had women and kids in their scene, but it was 5,000 but in the Bible it's only 5,000 men. The amount of people probably was 15 at least. I mean if we counted right now and I'm not going to do it, there's probably more women and kids in this room than there are men and that seems to be usually typical. More women and children. So you think about that for a minute. But that scene of having 5,000 people out there in that field while their apostles had to make distribution was quite a a scene. Again, it's kind of that impact. I know I've mentioned this before. If you've never seen the Vietnam War Memorial, that's a visual, man, that'll make you pause. You try to imagine, like, let's say 59,000 names, three-quarters of an inch high, no rank... Uh, serial number no branch of service no girlfriend's names just the guy john smith robert miller for 240 feet that way and 240 feet going that way on a black granite wall that's a visual that blows your mind Sometimes having a visual of the size of what's going on out there is pretty incredible. But the powerful thing here is, when they're looking at all these people, Jesus is the one that asks them, where are we going to get something for these people to eat? Where shall we buy bread that they can eat? And they're like, whoa. It's like, no way, Hosea. Jesus knew what he's going to do. He said, make the people sit down. He set them in groups, took that five loaves and two fish and put it in the basket He said, make the distribution. Man, that baby just kept providing fish and loaves. And then, and then they come back and they all in these bags and some fragments. They said, look what he did. We've got more than what we even left over, more than what we needed. I can tell you the story, some of my stories you know, I've told you about. The Myanmar Clinic First time I ever met Doc and P, somebody brought him to me from Myanmar, from Burma, because of a clinic that was closed, and they told me people are dying. They need help with that clinic, and I was doing humanitarian work at the time, so they thought maybe I could help. He needed $20,000. Uh, I didn't have $20,000, but I told him it's a good cause, though. I said, I'll see what I can do. They really appreciated that. Well, I had to take the guy and his wife back down to Indiana where Dave Fagan was at. Dave was the one that introduced me to him. Well, Dave was in the hospital when we got down there. He had the normal radiation thing because he had cancer, and he, he did pass away right after that. But anyway, I took Graham, you know, Doc and his wife, Ruth, back down to Indiana to the Fagans. And we were in Dave Fagan's mom and dad's house, You know, he's got three boys that were preachers. One is Matt Fagan. So I'm telling them, well, here, you know, Graham and Ruth told me what they needed. We're going to do what we can, see if we can find a way to help. Uh, You know, we'll try to raise $20,000. But, you know, while I'm talking to them, whooom, a car comes flying in the driveway, big cloud of dust because it's at a farm and it's a gravel driveway. And Matt Fagan comes in, just come from the church, we got the money. I told Doc, and P. I said, well, that was quick. <laughs> $20,000, the need for, because people were dying. And it came when we needed it. Told you guys before when I wanted to start doing the nonprofit overseas, you know, help people in Belarus. I needed five thousand dollars to fill up a container to ship to Belarus, and I was telling people in Montana Family Camp, and you know, uh, this guy, a stranger, walked up, and he was a stranger. He was a coworker of Tom Tuck. You guys know Tom and Karen down in Ohio. They were in Bozeman, and. Uh, He asked me, "So, what are you trying to do? I said, well, I'm trying to raise money to send a container to Belarus. He said, how much you need? I said, $5,000. His wife was with him. I had a pamphlet. I gave it to him. He said, thanks. And I said, okay. Six weeks later, you know, it was Pennsylvania family camp. So I went to Pennsylvania family camp. Tom Tuck was there and Karen. And Tom says, hey, you remember my friend I brought to Montana family camp? You know? Uh, I said, yeah. He said, you want me to give you this envelope? He gave me the envelope, $5,000 in the envelope. Well, I needed another $5,000 to ship this thing over to Belarus. I had to fill out an application with USAID, their, their seagoing uh, freight program for nonprofits. I did, and I got accepted. So the US government shipped that container for free. Well, now I need somebody on the other side there to help me. Belarus was the toughest country to ship seagoing containers in and out of, and so uh, I needed help. So. I had an inventory of what I wanted to take, and I'm trying to tell this Russian lady that I'd stayed with before, who spoke English, Glena. Can I? I need to find somebody that can help me do this. I want to ship a container here. I want to do humanitarian work here. And she's like, "Well, yeah, okay." I'm in her kitchen, eat, drinking a cup of tea the day after I got there. Matt Hartford was with me. You guys know Matt. Somebody's at the door. She goes answer the door. This guy comes in. It's her neighbor. So she introduced me and I, you know, told him I'm from America. He said, Oh, nice to meet you, Steve. And I said, Nice to meet you. And you know, blah, blah, blah. And he laughed. He talked to her, laughed, I don't know. He called me that night to where I was staying. He said, Steve, this is Nikolai Balbutsky. You remember I met you today at Galenas. I said, Yeah. She said you want to do humanitarian work in Belarus. I said, Yeah, I do. He said, That's what I do. I'm a, a charitable worker, volunteer. You know, I bring in seagoing containers, and I know all the orphanages. I know all the hospitals. I know where all the shut-ins the old ladies are at. You want to see these places? I'm like, yeah, man. That began our relationship way back. Way back in 1998. I posted this picture back there when I came in today because Oleg sent me a picture of him, Nikolai, and Victor, and Sasha Yoshnikov. We baptized Nicolai and his wife into Christ. Now, I'm talking, that guy took us to every orphanage in that country just about. He's all over the place helping people. What I'm saying is, you know, James says sometimes people pray and they don't get no results because they ask a mist to consume on their lust. But when things really matter, if it's the right thing to do, have faith in God, go forward. He's still working. You guys have heard those stories of mine before. I prayed about it, and the guy, i get him the next day, who speaks fluent English, knew where all the orphanage and all the kids and all that stuff was at, knew how to get seagoing containers to the most complicated customs in the whole country. U.S. or International Aid told me, you're sending that to Belarus, good luck with that. They said, we won't even deal with them. I got all of that in one prayer. In fact, I felt ashamed. You know, it's like them praying for Peter when he was behind, locked up, and the whole church was praying. And then Rhoda goes to the thing, looks out, Peter, boom, sets the door, goes back in and says, Peter's outside. Oh, you're crazy, you're nuts. It couldn't be. It must be his angel or something. What the heck are you in there praying for? You get the answered prayer and you don't even believe it. I felt that way. I felt ashamed. I thought about it later. Because when I did pray, I just said, Lord, I'm going to need some help. That's almost like Peter sinking, saying, Lord, save me. <laughs> uh, get it right now, because you need it right now. And I thought about it. Well, I never would have thought to say, Lord, I'm going to need some help to do this thing in Belarus. I'm going to need a guy. And uh, he's going to have to speak perfect English, because you know I don't speak Russian. Uh, and uh, he'll need to know where all the orphanages and all the sick people and the the help the poor and blah, 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 in the whole country, uh, and uh, know how to get these containers into this complicated process of, of customs. In Jesus' name, amen. I would have been ashamed to pray that. Why? I don't know because that's exactly what i got when i said lord i'm gonna need a little help and you guys know that's a true story and that guy nikolai Balbutsky,'s is going to be here god willing on april 2nd he's going to stay a week with me he's been here before but you'll see him again and he knows that story too i mean hey because that's how god works close it up real quick here um Remember in uh, Matthew chapter fourteen, uh, this is where Peter walks, where well, Jesus walks on the water and calls Peter out to do the same. Now, in uh, that's another great one on the chosen uh, in uh, Matthew chapter fourteen, verse twenty-two. Uh, Jesus made the apostles' disciples get in the boat uh, and go before him to the other side. He sent them all to it away, and then he sent as he sent them away, he went up in the mountain to pray by himself. When evening came, he was alone. but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, the wind was contrary now it 's the fourth watch of the night, and Jesus went to them walking on the water or walking on the sea. and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying it 's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I don't be afraid. And Peter answered to them, and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water, and he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous he was afraid, began to sink, cried out, saying, Lord, save me, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, and said, Oh you've little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat the wind ceased. And they realized, truly, this is the Son of God. Now, they did that one, too. That storm was quite amazing, you know, in the, in the movie. It was dark. The waves were big and all that. But what it did in the backstory, it also brought out Peter was having some struggles himself. Because that would be real. All the people did. They struggled, just like us. This wasn't easy for any of them. And he was having a tough time, and Jesus knew it. When he called him out of that boat, this was a test of his faith. And Peter was determined. He was trying as hard as he could. He was struggling. He said, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come out. He said, come on. He got out of that boat and began to walk. It tells us here in the scripture, until he took his eyes off. Jesus got distracted and immediately started to go down. The Lord reached down and pulled him back up. Why did you doubt? Now, what I want to bring out here, you've got to realize, do you realize Peter just failed again? Do you know that's not easy to do in your faith? He probably felt like a fool. You see, he was having troubles, and he was struggling. Because Jesus said, why did you doubt? And he sunk when he took his eyes off the Lord. It was quite emotional when he got back in that boat. That, in many ways, was a make or break. He had to go through that. We need to lay aside every weight in the sin that does so easily beset. We need to run with endurance the race that's set before us. Look into Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. Don't take your eyes off him because there's going to be a lot of storm, a lot of distraction. Jesus said the rain is going to come, the floods are going to come, the winds are going to blow, and they're going to beat on that house. And if it ain't founded on a rock, I'll close with this, because it made me think. Even Peter, with all his struggles, he was going to try. That ain't the first. That wouldn't be the last time he was going to blow. You guys know he's going to deny the Lord three times. It's interesting what Jesus said to him in Luke chapter twenty-two: "Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you." That your faith doesn't fail you. And when you have returned to me, strengthen the brother. Return to me. You know, hey, where I come from, you can't return if you haven't left. You see, he would go through great struggles. And guess what? The apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2 had to confront Peter publicly and whap him right upside his head. And Paul called him. He was telling me, you're acting a hypocrite. Not walking uprightly according to the truth. Two apostolic heavyweights toe-to-toe right there. I think there was a silence in heaven. Peter had the keys of the kingdom jingling around his pocket. And the apostle Paul was confronting him because he was to be blamed. How do you think he felt but when you read Second Peter chapter three, he was strong and praising, complimenting the Apostle Paul and his epistles and the work that Lord was doing through the Apostle Paul. That guy had to go through a lot of churn, just like you do, and just like I do. I always like this quote, and I'm going to close with it. Maybe you've heard it before, Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy. 26th president of the United States. It's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and Again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming. But who knows? This individual knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows, in the end, the triumph of high achievement, who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with the cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. we got to press on. we got to lift up them hands that are hanging down and them feeble knees. We need to make straight paths for our feet. The Lord is with us. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So, like I said, if you're watching Them Chosen, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't watched it and you're curious about that, you know, we have season one and two on DVD. The church does. Season three will be on DVD. Uh, otherwise, you, or you can stream it. But I really appreciate so far the diligence they've shown and preserving the actual account of the scripture but building a backstory that brings you emotionally right up to speed in it. I think it's powerful. I think it's a, a a tool. I'll use it as a tool. I send it to Kosovo, Avni and them. They love it, man. They're showing it at the church in Kosovo with Albanian people. I give it to Aaron Knotts in New Zealand. He said their church loves it too. Alan Marshall showing it at the church in London. They're all digging it. They're loving it uh, because it's making it relevant and real. It's driving people into their scripture where they need to be. Thank you for your attention this morning.